Iowa's News Now Sports brings you black and gold glory. Your all-access pass to all things Hawkeyes. This is Eye on the Hawks. Hey everybody, Mitch Fick here. Thanks for listening to this special one-on-one interview edition of Eye on the Hawks. We are catching up with Daniel Murray. Somehow it's been almost 15 years now since he beat Penn State with that kick back during the 2008 season. In my opinion, that's what kind of propelled Iowa, or at least set the table for them to make that big run they did in 2009. And boy, what a season that was afterwards, too. We're going to talk about him having to go to Happy Valley after making that kick in 2008 there in 2009 and dealing with the the whiteout and the night game, too, just like the Hawks are going to deal with this Saturday on CBS2 in 2023. Also talk about that kick in 2008, the one thing he asked for from coaches and players that didn't actually end up happening. Of course, didn't really matter. Still put it through the uprights. We'll also talk about just what he's up to now. He's an Iowa City native or a Gina grad, not around the area anymore, but uh, tries to get back as much as he can. So great conversation with him. Thanks to everybody who's been supporting the pod so far. Please keep rating, subscribing, and downloading. And here's our conversation with Daniel Murray. Take me back to, to that 2008 season going into Penn State. You guys are five and four. You and Trent Mossbrook have kind of been back and forth in the, in the kicking competition. I remember that year. Just What do you guys remember about just going into that game? They're undefeated. They're ranked third in the country. What was the, the feeling uh, welcoming the Nittany Lions into Kinnick that day? And, you know, I think we were just finally starting to hit our stride a little bit when looking back at that year. You know, the record didn't exactly show it, but we were in a lot of the games and we were really trying to kind of just starting to turn the corner on all that stuff. And so from a team perspective, you know, I think we were just starting to hit some of that strides that then led into the next year, um, into the Orange Bowl year and things like that. So it was kind of a, a unique moment there. And that kind of, I think, was that tipping point um, to get us pushed over there. And from my perspective or my lens of it, you know, starting the year, obviously, in competition with Trent and trying to get the starting job. And, and, you know, they went with his direction. And we continued to push each other throughout the year, working um, through everything and trying to improve and trying to get better. And, you know, I kind of felt like you, you add a lot of stresses and then kicking. It's a lot of mental work. Um, and so you can stress yourself out, you can psych yourself out in the kicking world. And then, you know, I compare it to now that, now that we're a little older trying to play golf and all of a sudden the driver's not working or, um, you know, you're putting, you can't make a putt for some reason and, and you can almost get in your own head and, um, not to say that it was a benefit, but it was, I was almost able to clear my thoughts and just kind of work and try and get better of, you know, the only way I'm going to get the job back is by improving, not, uh, not holding the grudge, not trying to do something, uh, you know, hope for something bad. It's more just how do you improve yourself and continue to try to get better because it's the only way you're going to get it. And I'd say probably three to four games before Penn State, I finally started really playing consistently and kicking consistently and really kind of showed on the practice field. Um, and then as they went to the game, I can't remember if it was that game or the game before that I had started taking the longer field goals and, and kickoffs and stuff like that. So going into the kick, you know, I was um, as they're marching down the field, I'm warming up. And then when they, got inside, I think it was the 30-yard line. It was supposed to go to Trent, and then that's when the uh, our kicking coach at the time, uh, Lester Herb, came down and said, basically, you're going to take it no matter what. Um, and, and not sure exactly who made that call, but then all of a sudden it's like, okay, now it's really game time, uh, trying to trying to focus yourself for that, knowing that it's pretty much going to come down to it. And I, I still laugh looking back at the kick because 
naturally I kind of have a draw or a slight um, hook on my kicks. And I, so I prefer to hit from the left hash so I can kind of fade it in. And so they asked, where do you want to kick it? And I said, left to, to middle. And they put it on the right hash, like my least favorite hash of kicking. Um, and so I look back and just kind of laugh, you know, sometimes things just happen the way they're supposed to happen, whether you had them playing or not. And so you, that's kind of the fun part looking back is, you know, you kind of keep your head up and keep pushing through um, some of the tough times because things sometimes don't always go your way. Um, and you can either kind of get stuck in the moment or try and figure your way out um, and keep and keep pushing and was able to to kind of set myself up for that moment. Yeah. It was cold that day. There's a great shop in the Press Citizen. It's me and Phil Hattie. I was freelancing for ESPN, holding the cord for the commercial guy. And so we're right there at the line of scrimmage. And I remember that was maybe the coldest game I've ever covered. Maybe not in terms of temperature, but it was windy. It was miserable out. Mm -hmm. Did you like kicking in cold weather or did you have a preference to temperature or anything like that? Um, I mean, as a kicker, you always prefer the warm weather because the ball acts uh, nice to you. And when you start getting colder weather, the ball starts turning into a rock. But I do remember, I think there's one scene where I can't remember if it was the punter or the kicker. He's um, huddled between two of the equipment cases on the other sideline trying to stay warm. And, you know, you're, you're doing your best to stay warm, but not overdress and constrict anything. And luckily there's heaters. But, yeah, I remember it was snowing, I think, when we first went out to, to warm yeah. up. And it was like sideways. And you knew it was just going to be a battle slugging it out all day. Um, so I'm definitely glad it wasn't a 50-yard kick. Um, in November. Uh, so that was a, a nice, nice thing. But yeah, it is definitely a challenge when it comes to cold weather and, and then trying to get yourself warm. And the life of the kicker is you get warm and you sit around for, you know, 20 minutes and you get warm and you sit around for 20 minutes. And how do you consistently do that and uh, make sure that you're ready to go and you have the opportunity? So using heaters and things like that. But yeah, definitely uh, prefer uh, the warmer weather. I do remember, I can't remember if it was that game or not, but we had somebody, they had the heaters on the sideline and putting a helmet on in the middle of the, the winter is uh, fun and actually melted their helmet because they held it in front of the heater too long. So there's plenty of tricks of the trade that, that we learned to stay warm um, as specialists and kickers, even in practice and stuff like that. Of uh, You know, don't tell Coach Ferris, we go hide in the, the bathroom and turn the hot water on and try and steam up the bathroom a little bit just to warm up on a three-hour practice that you're like, I've been standing here for two hours. I need something to get the blood flowing again. Uh, yeah, you and Ryan Donahue and, and Trent just huddled in there. I, I can picture yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, obviously, we got to see the celebration on the field. I still remember that that ESPN shot the high cam of Ricky just – but the, back in the day, the long hair flowing, jumping up and down, what a big game that was for him. Kind of one of his breakout games, too. But nowadays, we get to see at least a, a snapshot, if not a full video of the locker room celebration, or at least a little bit. And we've seen Kirk show so many emotions. We didn't get that back in 2008. What was that locker room like for a, a, a group that, again, five and four was really starting to find its stride? And, and that was the win that you just felt it in the air. That was going to propel something. What was that locker room like after? Yeah, you know, I think it was a lot of euphoria because I don't know the last time we'd actually, that group had experienced yeah. uh, something from a player perspective of experiencing when, uh, on that magnitude or that late of a game. Um, and so I remember even after the game, you know, I think I was probably one of the first people towards the locker room because I kind of learned the strategy. If you go to the middle, you're just going to get crushed and you sit in there forever. Um, and so I, it was, you had people from 
that snuck up into the locker room, everyone experiencing it. And, you know, just a lot of, I think, some pressure off our backs, just kind of giving us that confidence that, you know, you can actually do it. Um, and the excitement from that game, and it just continued to propel us to, to give us that attitude and that confidence um, going in. But it, it is funny. I, I think probably, I don't know exactly when, but it does, I feel like Coach Ferentz keeps getting more and more emotional as his career goes on. And, you know, towards the end of our my career, he was just starting to get in there of um, really appreciating and um, seizing the moment or enjoying the moments of those big wins because, you know, they don't come along very often. Um, you know, once every, uh, what seems like every four years, we seem to hit a game like that, which is pretty awesome. But uh, especially for, for the kicker world of things, um, at least we haven't missed many. Yeah. Uh, and so, but, you know, just looking back at the, that, that time frame, it is, you start to realize that, um, you know, those moments don't come around very often. And so him appreciating us, appreciating it just continued to, to galvanize that group um, and even into the, the next year as well. You talked about the, uh, the, the success of kickers late game for Iowa. I, today, I believe we're recording this on Tuesday is, the eighth anniversary of Marshall Kane walking off against Pitt. I mean, that was 57 yards if memory serves right. Of course, Miguel had one to beat Nebraska. Keith obviously uh, said goodbye to Lincoln and blew some kisses there too. As an alum of the kicking room and, and one of those guys that knows the pressure of that moment and the euphoria of making it, do you see those kicks through a little different lens more than just an alumni as a fan as, as you know exactly what those guys are seeing when they're lining up and trying to put it through. Yeah, it's funny. You, I'm still friends with some people from the team, you know, linemen and you know, wide receivers and stuff. So I get harassed all the time anyways for kickers and, you know, anything that goes wrong in the kicking world. But it's always fun to talk a little smack back to, to the group of, of that. But it is, you know, and it's not even just Iowa. It's any kicker, you know, the stress and the, the pressure that everyone puts themselves under. So even. I think it was Missouri's kicker last weekend hit a 61 yarder to win the game. And then I saw something that he missed the year before he missed like a 30 yarder to win it. And so it's kind of a little bit of redemption. And, you know, it, it is, it's such a, a lonely spot. Uh, there's really nothing else besides you out there. Um, and so appreciating the, the diligence and the ability to, to block things out. Um, it is something that we challenge ourselves and work at every day as, you know, kickers of how do you get into that right mindset that you are dialed in and focused when they need you because you never know when it's going to happen. And so I think that's the that's the fun part of watching back. I'll be the biggest kicker fan um, forever, just knowing some of those experiences and things like that, that it is um, one of the top moments that, you know, I'm sure every single one of those guys will never, ever forget. Um, you know, you watch the the videos on replay and you know, I still get texts about stuff. And um, and so the fact that we've had them go our, our way over the last uh, decade plus, even going back to, to Kading and Schlicker and things like that, of you know, it's been quite a run of uh, performing in the pivotal moments, which um, is kind of key to how the development and the program goes of, of putting you yourself in those situations. Sure. The the line right away, anytime somebody makes a big play or hits a big kick is, boy, he's not going to have to buy a drink in Iowa City for the rest of his life. I'm going to assume that's not exactly true. I mean, you're a hometown kid, too. I'm sure you, 
you've picked up your own tap time or two in the last 15 years. But what is it like when when you get back to Iowa City? And yeah, you see a lot of familiar faces because you're from there. You're a Gina grad, but uh, I'm sure fans flock to you once they figure out who you are and, and remember back then. Well, what's it like when you get back for games? Yeah, yeah luckily, I, I still I think have most of my hair and look fairly similar to the way I did back at 13, 15 years ago. But, you know, it is I, I tend to I, I still do pick up my own bill. Um, but it, it is ironic of places of, or bars or anything like that. And you go back for a couple of games and, you know, some of the same people are, you know, still working some of those places and you get some of the nostalgia stuff that, um, it, it's good to catch up on, on a lot of those things. But yeah, it, it is funny. Every once in a while, I do get the, the rare moment of like, wait a minute, are you like the person? And it's like, yeah, that, that's me. Cause I, I don't necessarily, go around just with a shirt on that says, Hey, this is who, who I am. But every once in a while I do get the, wait, what'd you just say your name was? And how do you, and people react in that way, even, you know, all across the, the country and state where there's Hawk fans every once in a while, I still do get a random, um, wait, you're seriously that person. Um, and so that, that's, those are always the fun things to surprise people of, you know, I don't know what they expected, but they're like, oh, it's, yeah, that's me. This is who it is. <laughs> Probably a less warm welcome in 2009. You guys got to turn around and go to Happy Valley. Similar situation to what the boys are going to be in on Saturday, a whiteout under the lights. It's going to be raucous. It's going to be crazy. You're the guy who beat them in 08. What do you remember about walking through that that visitor's tunnel through that crowd and going into Happy Valley in 09 and then walking out again with a win where you and in, in any way you could get points, whether it's Adrian blocking or whoever, uh, doing whatever you could to get that win. But what do you remember about that atmosphere in Happy Valley? Yeah, I remember going into it. There was a lot of buildup of, you know, from the previous year. And uh, when we got there, I think it was another night game, I believe, when we we went back there and you know, walking through, I remember hearing a couple of not this year, not going to happen this year, Murray, and and stuff like that, walking in. And you kind of get a chip on your shoulder a little bit. And I think that's why teams tend to play sometimes better away than they do home, because you do have a togetherness and chip on your shoulder about it. But um, I remember it was rainy, cold again. Uh, and I think if I remember right, that, that year, they didn't even pack long sleeve shirts. So we were just stuck there. Um, freezing and I believe I ended up kicking a field goal almost the exact same yardage to seal the game at the end of it again and so it was kind of uh, crazy but Penn State that environment with a whiteout I think we played in it once um, and it is just it is something that is special to witness and be a part of I mean it's very similar to Kinnick and um, how loud it gets that you can't even hear somebody talking right next to you um, and learn to play that. But I do remember just some of the stuff of you constantly get harassed in Penn State. They're not too far away from the sidelines, similar to Kinnick. So you hear everybody chirping and saying whatever they want to say. And, you know, I give credit to people that can actually make you laugh if they get a good enough joke or say something funny enough to you. Um, there's a couple instances of that throughout my career of of that. So, you, you know, you live in kind of that moment and you expect the, the, uh, the target on your back and and you just try and continue to perform. And we had another good good game that, that year, and it kind of propelled us even further through more close games for that entire next year. Yeah, just what a fun stretch for you guys. Uh, obviously not not kicking, at least uh, in uniform anymore, but what are you up to nowadays? I know you're, you're working hard as an engineer and a family man as well. 
Yeah. So I uh, live out in actually Rockford, Illinois now, work for General Mills. I out of college, started at General Mills and have worked my way up and I'm an engineering manager here um, at one of our plants in, in Belvedere, Illinois, kind of in that Rockford area. So I've been doing that now for 11 years. I've been with the, the company after grad school and got a 17-month-old uh, and a three-month-old. So they're keeping me busy on the, the side. And, uh, you know, I was playing soccer still. Um, I'll say it slightly competitively. Um, but since moving here, I haven't played as much. I need to figure out what uh, where where I can go and do that. But still trying to, to stay in shape as best as I can. Still stay in touch with a lot of guys um, from back playing and try to make it to two or three games a year if I can, um, making it back. But yeah, it's... Uh, the world keeps kind of going and, you know, all of a sudden you got two kids that are growing up and you're trying to, to enjoy their their life and their moments and um, just trying to set them up for some of the, the fun and stuff that I had uh, growing up. But, yeah, so staying busy doing that um, and occasionally helping some people out and kick and um, every, every once in a while I still, still got it a little bit, but um, I don't put me out under pressure anymore. I might not be able to deliver, but. Uh, can still kick the ball pretty decent nowadays. So hopefully I never lose that anytime soon. Big thanks again to Daniel for sitting down, taking a little time to go down memory lane with us. I don't know how it has been 15 years already, but appreciate his time and great to know he's doing well. Great to know that you've been listening and watching, subscribing, downloading, however you have with Eye on the Hawks. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Eye on the Hawks if you haven't already. And the Iowa's News Now YouTube page is where you can watch all these episodes. Be sure to join us on Sunday after Penn State. We'll be recapping that thing live at noon. We'd love to have you in the comments and getting all your feedback. Thanks again, everybody.